Okay. So I'm just going to start off a little bit today, tell you a little bit about my journey into Revelation. And it actually started for me as a kid. And when you're a kid, you, you always have these questions about the Bible that adults don't really want to answer, if you, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about, right? So one of mine was, um, started looking at this book called The Revelation. My grandma was a Baptist Bible class teacher. That's what she did. Uh, she actually taught, I don't know if you've heard a guy named Bill Clinton, but she actually taught the Clinton family uh, in Little Rock. Uh, she, was, she was their teacher, and she would, she, would, she would say to me if she were alive today, that Billy didn't grow up right. <laughs> that Billy didn't do it, you know. But anyway, um, she's the first person to give me a Bible in, in my, my life that, that uh, um, was kind of her role. It's, Luke, here's a Bible, and I want you to read this. Um, and, and I remember thinking, well, okay, I'll try to read this. Well, if you ever start reading the Bible, you start reading in Genesis, and all of a sudden it's like so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and you're like, begat, forget it. Just begat it, you know, just get rid of it. So um, I started skipping around in the Bible, and I remember starting to read this thing called Revelation. I'm like, whoa, what is this? And the one thing that stuck in my mind, for whatever reason, was, uh, and there's a parallel in the Gospels, some of the signs of the end times. And one of those signs is, and the moon shall turn red like blood. And uh, I still, I, to this day, I remember being a little kid and, uh, and going outside and looking up at the, at, at the moon one day, and it was red. It was a blood moon. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die. <laughs> it's the end, and my parents are gone. You know, I'm calling them, get home fast, it's the end. You know, well, that was my revelation experience. I would ask adults, I'd say, hey, do you know anything about this book and the moon turning red and, and these creatures are like weird creatures? And people would be like, don't read that book. Do not, don't get that into your mind. So that was me as a kid. Went to seminary. Oddly enough, um, we didn't really spend any time on the book of Revelation. My first round in the seminary, we really didn't. Um, I, I thought, well, surely in the seminary you're going to get into this book and, and kind of figure it out. Nope. Got a call to the first church that I was going to serve in Iceberg. It was in Iceberg, Wisconsin. Cedarburg, actually, but I call it Iceberg. It's actually <laughs> colder than here. And so in Iceberg, I get there and I'm like, hey, I would like to teach Revelation. The senior pastor looked at me and said, don't do it. I said, don't do it. Why not? Because well, we're Lutheran. <laughs> and I'm like, well, is that what it means to be Lutheran? Is like you just chop books of the Bible out? I want to learn this thing. It was my first journey into uh, the Revelation, just to try to get it into my mind and heart. And I did it anyway. I said, nope, I'm going to dive into it. And it really began a, a, a journey for me that has never stopped. And I look forward to walking through this with you together. There's a man whose eyes, if you could see him, I wish you could, just burn right through you. You know the bar marble man? The marble man that's got those eyes? Okay. There's an old guy and uh, one of my dearest saints in life uh, by the name of Louis Brighton, who is the first person on earth that said, Luke, I'll teach you Revelation. And um, during, during the time I went back to school for doctoral work, we actually had opportunity four of us guys to sit with Louis Brighton for two weeks and do nothing but live, eat, drink, sleep, think about the revelation. And that just became a beautiful time in my life, and so I hope to share uh, some of that with you. How have you experienced revelation? Well, most of us have, to a degree, um, through the popular culture. Okay, So 
This morning I asked you to share some of those end of the world movies that uh, have come out. Most of them are apocalyptic, right? And so they have some relationship to what we think about when we think about uh, the revelation. Uh, in movies, in literature, uh, in art, the revelation shows up all the time, right? Um, I, I can count many beautiful uh, paintings, pictures uh, that come out of the revelation. And in fact, I, I'm a big believer that one of the things that will happen to you in this class is these pictures just become embedded in your mind and you can't stop thinking about them. And they're, they're almost like here's a picture that just lives inside of you of Jesus Christ and who he is and this battle that's going on. Um, I have commissioned a picture uh, for this class and uh, hopefully, well, I'm sure it will be done by the time we're done. Uh, my brother-in-law is an artist. And so I've asked him to, to draw for us a picture of the four horsemen of the Revelation, except ours is going to be the four horsemen on Harleys. <laughs> Seriously. That's what he likes to draw. So we're going to have the four horsemen on hogs, and I, I hope that that turns out well. Um, movies. Pale Rider. And there's one of my favorites, right? Clint Eastwood, and he starts off with a quote right out of the book of Revelation. And there were four horses, and one whose name was Death. And you see him, and um, you're like, oh, there's the Revelation. It really is one of the more quoted uh, books of the Bible when you get into just popular uh, culture. Same thing is true in the Christian culture, all right? Uh, I, I'm going to say it this way, and it probably won't make that much sense to you right now, but when I look at history, and I look at how the revelation has been treated and studied over the course of time. Most, most people's interpretation of the revelation outside of, of Lutheranism uh, really is fairly new historically okay? and messed up pretty royally. So what happens for us as Christians is we will get these invitations to read books or watch movies that have to do with the Revelation. And most of the time, the, the, the authors of the books or the, the makers of the movie are taking it in a direction that is, is a recent, fairly recent historical advent, and that is just messed up. It doesn't really take the Revelation and, and use it, I think, the way that the author intended it to be used. So for me, my first experience of that from the church culture was a book that was handed to me in high school. And uh, it was called The Late Great Planet Earth by a guy named Hal Lindsey. Uh, you can still buy it on Amazon. Get a used copy like 25 cents. Um, boy, you, you, they were like hotcakes when I was in high school. People would say, they'd literally hand you a book and say, you, got, you have to read this. When you read the book, it scared the hell out of you. Seriously, it did. There were people in my high school who were, would read that and go into a panic, like, I have got to, I have got to, I've got to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. I'm in big trouble if I don't, okay? That should never be the outcome of Revelation. It is not a book intended to scare the hell out of you. It's not. In fact, the opposite is true. I believe it's a book that's written for the intention of giving you confidence and actually giving you comfort in what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. The Late Great Planet Earth is one of those that kind of takes that evangelical approach to the book, and, uh, and we're, we're going to take a different approach uh, to the book. Um, when I got into ministry, uh, it wasn't 
all that much later that another set of books began to come out. Uh, maybe you've read them. They were called Left Behind. Okay? And um, I remember the first pages of Left Behind uh, when I began reading that. And here you have this scene and you have these people on an airplane and all of a sudden people are sucked out of the airplane. And it's a bad thing to be in an airplane when the pilot gets sucked out. <laughs> the Surgeon General has determined that is definitely harm for your, for your health, right? Women would be like pregnant and they'd be walking along and I was like, Phew! I'm not pregnant anymore. Where did my baby go? Okay. So what that book is depicting is what evangelicals call the rapture. We do too, but we'll look at the rapture in an entirely different way. When you read through that entire series of books, you, you find yourself in the middle of a story that gets very fanciful. Um, I read it when it was coming out as a serial. In other words, there were just separate books. Today you can buy the whole thing. Or you can see the movie. And they just remade it with Nicolas Cage in it, right? But the whole thing is, is, is a story. And th there's a part in the book where uh, Satan is, is laying in a lounge chair, sunbathing with his sunglasses on. And all these people are stuck in buildings that <clears throat> they've kind of tried to turn into reflectors to deflect the rays of the sun because it's burning them up. <clears throat> and you get to something like that, and it just makes me laugh and say to myself, what in the world have people done with the book of Revelation? None of that is, is in this book. None of that. And so we'll, we'll, we'll really, uh, again, my goal is to, is to help kind of take a book that I think had a very clear intention uh, about it and, and take you through it in a way that I think stays true to the intent uh, of the author. Uh, so bottom line, I think many of us have experienced uh, the revelation in popular culture, in Christian culture, and yet very few of us really have taken the time to just dissect it. What is going on here uh, in this book? And that, that is, that's my goal. Um, I was going to read you one last thing that I think is kind of interesting from an introductory standpoint. This takes us back into the 1500s. Martin Luther says this about the Revelation. He says, so long as this kind of prophecy remains without explanation and gets no sure interpretation, it is a concealed and mute prophecy and it has not yet come to the prophet and fruit which it is to give to Christendom. This is in 1500. This is the way it has been with this book heretofore. Many have tried their hands at it, but until this very day they have attained no certainty. Some have even brooded into many stupid things out of their own heads. Amen, Luther. <laughs> because its interpretation is uncertain and its meaning hidden, we have also let it alone until now. And then he goes on to say, however, no one should be prevented from regarding this as the work of St. John the Apostle, we can profit from this book and make good use of it, first for our comfort, second for our warning. And uh, Luther wrote those words back in 1500s, and I think to myself, they are still absolutely right uh, to this very day, and I'm excited to join uh, together with you. Um, let's talk about what the Revelation is. So if you have your Bibles, I want you just to open them up. And we're going to start where John starts. Very simply, the book starts this way. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show to his servants, or better interpretation, slaves, the things that soon must take place. Okay? Now let all that kind of just absorb into your head. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things which soon must take place. Okay? Here's where most people miss what the book of Revelation is in the very first word. If you don't get the first word of this book right, you'll completely miss what the entire book is about. Okay? So let me, let me share it with you in Greek because it's important to do. Here's what it sounds like. Apocalypsis Jesu Christi. Now, why am I spending any time on this? Okay. When you walk into a bookstore or um, a library, one of the first things that you pay attention to is the, not just the titles of the book, but the type of literature that it is, right? So if I were to walk into Barnes & Noble and buy a fiction book about the end of the world, and then I were to say, hey, this is how the world is going to end and teach it as though it were factual, I, I would be misusing the book, right? Because it's not intended to be used as a, as a historical, literal book. Uh, if I were to, to, to walk into to Barnes & Noble and I go to the biography section and somebody has written kind of a fanciful biography on somebody, um, they, they, they didn't even know the person or didn't know them well, but they've made up a bunch of stuff in their life. And I were to say, look, this is how this person really lived. I'm misusing the literature. Okay. So the very first thing that, that uh, John is telling us as we get into this book is, that the revelation is a very specific type of literature. What type of literature is it? Apocalypsis. It is apocalyptic literature. Now we, we don't, I can't go into the bookstore today and find an, an apocalyptic book, right? Because apocalyptic literature uh, finds itself situated in the history of the Jews and it had a very specific purpose and aim, okay? What is apocalyptic literature? What does that mean, okay? So apocalyptic literature is, is a form of writing that developed between the 6th century B.C. and is used all the way up to about 300 A.D. And it's a type of literature that's developed to be used particularly during those times that the Jews were in exile, taken out of Israel and placed into slavery. It's, it's when the Jews are removed from Israel and placed into Babylon, 6th century, right? That you begin to see the, the, the true uprising of what we call apocalyptic literature. Now, I want you to just think very simply about this with me. Here, here's what's going on. If, if we're Israel, and all of a sudden we're, we're removed from our homes, taken out of Grand Island, and moved to Omaha, Babylon, <laughs> and when we get moved here's the deal is all of your literature and all of your stuff that you own is left behind and all of a sudden here you are you've got nothing and you're turned into a slave right and uh, so you wake up every morning and you're like okay what, what am I going to do who, who am I really okay. what, what warring nations knew is that if I want to destroy a culture take its history away from them. 
Take its literature away from them. Take away from them the very things that define who they are. For the Jews, nothing defined them more so than the, the word of God that they carried with them. And all of that gets left behind. And all of a sudden, now we're in Babylon. And we don't have scrolls. We don't have books to learn from. We don't have our history. We have nothing. Good news. The Jews, if you remember this with me, were very good at oral tradition. What that means is that for, for a Jew, uh, you would grow up in a home, and as a young man, you would be required to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Word for word. All of it. Okay. So I can take you out of Israel, but guess what I can't take out of you? The word that lives inside of you. Okay. So here's the Jews, and they're in captivity, and they need to, because they're going to have kids, they're going to be multiple generations, right, that are born. They need to pass on the faith to their children. So they're able to do that through oral tradition. But when I'm in the presence of the enemy, it sometimes becomes dangerous to just talk out loud about God, the God that I'm following. That could get me killed. And so there's this development of a language that we call apocalyptic language that allows me to talk about God by using symbols and numerology and words that the Babylonians can't figure out at all. But we, the Jews, will know exactly what those words are. And so this is really where apocalyptic language begins to develop, and it is a very particular genre, and there are some, some, uh, some rules that I like to tell people you need to follow if you're going to get Revelation right. This is why the very first word is so critical. John is telling us this is apocalyptic literature. It's an apocalypse from Jesus Christ given to his servants, us, to tell us what's going to come. And this language is not intelligible whatsoever to people who try to read it incorrectly. What are the rules of apocalyptic language? There are several of them. Okay. First of all, know that apocalyptic literature always deals with the end time. Always deals with it. Now, John tells us that up front. I'm going to tell you the things that are going to come. Secondly, the book uses symbols and numbers to paint pictures of God and particularly of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, those symbols and the numerology, do they represent real people and real events and real things that are going to happen? Yes, they do. Nonetheless, those real people and events are symbolized so that people who are outside of the faith won't recognize them whatsoever. It's apocalyptic language. So as we read it, we're going to get to some really weird symbols. Okay? And what I find happens is books like Left Behind, Hal Lindsey stuff, they try to take a symbol and literalize it. And you can't do it with Revelation. You'll never make it work. All of a sudden, you've got these weird creatures that got, you know, mouths like lions and faces like people and, and they're flying and they've got, you know, scorpion tails. And I'm like, you're, seriously? You're going to have this bug, weird bug flying around stinging people? No. It's a symbol. Now, what does it represent? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll walk through all of the symbols. Because they represent real people and real events. Things that are going to come. Nonetheless, apocalyptics put it into a symbol rather than very plainly. So if you try to read apocalyptic language, 
literature and you literalize it, you'll miss it entirely. It's one of the reasons I think, hey, guess what? Uh, left behind, leave it behind. Because uh, you've tried to do that and you've messed up the very literature. John tells you immediately, this is apocalyptic literature. Um, the, the fourth thing that, that is true of apocalyptic literature, it's, it's typically received either through or at least accompanied by angels. Um, almost all the apocalyptic books, Daniel, Ezekiel, Joel, the Revelation, will have angels in them. And, and I can tell you already, one of the fun things about studying this book is there are going to be plenty of times when we see John who sees something symbolic and he goes, what's that? And the angels will be beside him and the angels will say something like this. You mean you don't know? <laughs> and John will be like, yep, I don't know. <laughs> and the angels are like, duh, it's this, all right? And so you'll hear angels talking to John actually helping him interpret the symbols that he's seeing and that he's being given. It's just one of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature. And then the last uh, characteristic of apocalyptic literature is you will find out there, if you look at some of the historical books that have been discovered, a lot of them are pseudepigraphal or pseudonymous, and sometimes both. Here's what that means. Uh, some of them, uh, there's a lot of apocalyptic literature out there. There's only a few books in the Bible that are apocalyptic. But you'll find other apocalyptic books that um, the author is really not the author. So you, you might find uh, the, the apocalypse of, of, um, you know, of Judas. You know, and um, it's meant to say, well, this is, this is as valid as the Bible. No, uh, the only books that rec are recognized in the canon are those that attest to the rules that apply to canonicity. And so you're not going to find many apocalyptic books in the Bible. Um, Revelation is one of them, and it's not pseudepigraphal. We know who wrote it, all right? Uh, it's stated up front. So um, my point is, when you're reading the book, uh, use the rules that the language requires, or you will not get it right. Does that make sense to you? All right, structure. How is the book structured? Another place where people just mess the book of Revelation up. I'm going to oversimplify a little bit, but not much. When I take the book of Revelation, the best way for me to explain it to people is you're going to find that it has three key parts to it. The introduction, all right, which will take us from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 22. It's the first section of it. We're just being introduced by the author to what is this book and what is its purpose. Okay? The second part is the main part of the body. It is the prophetic message. Right? It's the apocalyptic message. This will take us from chapter 4, verse 1, to um, chapter 22, verse 5. All right? Little gap between the two, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. This is the main part of the the, the whole of Revelation uh, is the prophetic message. And then the, the last part of it is the epilogue, which will take us from chapter 22, verse 6 uh, through 21. So the, the ending of chapter 22 is the last part of the book. So really just three key parts. The main part of it is a prophetic message. All right. When you read that prophetic message, 
I want you to think Jewish, not Western. Here's how it's organized. If you, if you break it down, Revelation is formed into three sevenfold messages. Even the structure of the book points numerology, numerologically to its intent. Three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sevenfold. Seven is the number four. Jesus Christ. How do you get that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come into the four corners of the earth. Four, earth. Three, the Trinity. When, when God comes into the earth through Jesus Christ, you have the number seven. And so the number seven literally will always point us to the person and work and ministry of Jesus Christ. So even when you pull back away from the book and you look at how it's organized, three sevenfold cycles. Okay? What are those cycles? The first cycle that we'll get into is the breaking of seven seals. Okay? So we're going to have these, this book open and every seal gets popped open. And you go, whoa, that, that wasn't good. Don't open the next one. Pop, there goes the next one. Like, yeah, it was even worse. Don't open the next one. Pop, and they're just going to keep popping until we get to seven. Then we're going to move on and we're going to get to seven trumpets. We're like, the seven seals were bad. What, what are the trumpets going to be? Worse. So here come the trumpets. Like, okay, just stop now. They're like, nope. Please stop. No, they just keep coming. Seven of them. All right. Then we'll get to the seven plagues. That doesn't sound good, does it? Seven plagues that are going to come upon mankind. But I want you just to think about how the book is, is organized. There's three sevenfold cycles. Now, all three of these cycles cover the exact same period of time. This is critical. Get this in your mind. All of the book of Revelation covers history beginning with the birth of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Ending with his second return. So when you go through a cycle, that's what we're going through. It's going to take us through history, beginning with the birth of Jesus Christ, all the way to the end. The world will end multiple times in the book of Revelation. Why? That's how the Jews do it. The Jews take a subject and they put it in the middle of the table and they walk around that subject. And they talk about it from here and they talk about it from here and they talk about it from here. They walk around the subject. The subject in this, in this particular case is, what did John say? To show his servants what must happen. The advent of Jesus to the very end. We're going to walk around that and look at it using seven seals to do that. And then we're going to stop. We're going to do it again. We're going to talk about the history of mankind beginning with the birth of Jesus Christ, ending with his second return. This time, we're going to use trumpets to do that. The third time, we're going to do what? Talk about the beginning of history, ending with Jesus Christ coming back. This time, we're going to use plagues to do it. But all the author is doing is walking around the same exact subject three different times. And here's the benefit of that. It's additive. If you can think Hebrew, what happens is you pick up a little information this time. Now you add to it a little bit more. Now you add to it a little bit more. 
and you put it all together and you have a very complete picture of history beginning with Jesus' entry into the world and ending with his second return. So the structure of the book is very intentional and it's, it's, put, it's put into place to just kind of help us think a little bit about why, I always say, why people get it wrong. Okay? Um, two, biggest pe- two biggest reasons people get Revelation wrong. Seek to read the symbols literally. We've talked about that. Um, and secondly, seek, seek to read it li- in a linear way. Most of the books on Revelation or movies on the book of Revelation, here's what they're trying to do. The author is trying to take the book and say, let's start with chapter 1. That's Jesus' advent, his coming in the world. And let's read it just like you read a Western novel. Every chapter is going to take us to the end of the world. So we're only going to get one end of the world. That's linear thinking, right? That's Western. If you tried to read an apocalyptic Jewish book using your, your Western methodology, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be messed up. Because I will tell you now, the world ends and the world ends and the world ends in the book of Revelation. And so what, what authors like Left Behind have tried to do is try to make it sound like the world didn't end yet. Well, it was really, really bad, but somehow people kept going. No, it ended. And so, so those are the two things that we want to keep in mind as we go through it. Uh, purpose of the book. Why is it given? I want you to just look at verse number three with me and, uh, and, and kind of put this in your, your mind. Why, why, God, are you giving us this book? I love these words. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Um, I, keep, I, I take those words very seriously. And I'm, I'm just going to put them on the table with you guys this morning and then we'll wrap up. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. The first time the revelation was ever read. It was read from a scroll. And what we'll see as we get into this first chapter is it was, it was typically read by the pastor of a church. And the way he would do it is he would gather the entire congregation together and he would say, I've got a scroll that's come to us. It's come to us from John the Apostle, the last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ. Everybody would go, oh, John wrote this? Yes. Everybody would get quiet in the room and the pastor would pop open the seal and he would read aloud the words of the revelation. Why? Blessed are the ones who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear. Okay, here's my question. You can go to a Bible study and I find that many, many Christians go to Bible studies all day long. And they listen to the word. But in my opinion, they never hear it. You don't hear it with your ears. How do you hear the word of God? Right here. Through faith. And I like to say that um, if, if, you, if you hear the words of this book, the intention, the purpose of it, is to change you. It, it will change you. 
Now, we're, we're at the very beginning of this study. What, what I'm just going to put on the table is, I, I think there are people who listen to the book of Revelation, try to study it like it's some kind of a class, and they never hear it. The intention of Revelation is not to just study it and write down a bunch of notes about it, but actually to give the Spirit of God room in your life to change you. For what purpose? Who keep what is written in it. Here's what we're going to find out as we go through this. I think this is really critical for us as a, as a church body. I think that in America today, most churches, most churches, have forgotten what they are. They've just lost sight of it. It's very easy to do. And, 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 and when I look at the Missouri Synod, just as an example of that, and I look at the number of people who are being brought to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not just talking about babies baptized. I'm talking about people being brought. It is embarrassing. We're in an all-out war, a battle. You cannot read Revelation and not know we are in an all-out war battle. And what Revelation is intended to do is to, to, to come into us, us in such a way that we don't just listen to it and say, oh, that's cool, but we hear it. And I really believe that if we hear it together, it sharpens your focus as a body. You recognize this is the battle that we're in, and I am a part of that battle. Me, I am. I will engage in that battle. And so I, I think that the intention of John is to say, blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it for, here's what he's saying, the time is near. Um, won't have time for this today, but I, I really believe that um, when you die and go to what we call heaven, you know, we always make up a bunch of stuff about people in heaven, fishing and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You'll see in Revelation what people are doing in heaven. This is how fast I think heaven lasts for us. Right now we experience time as puny human beings. And when he says the time is near, we're like, well, sure has taken you a long time so far, right? No. God's time will be experienced in a way that you and I can't even begin to fathom. I truly believe that this will be heaven for you. And the return will be here. And um, so my mom, my dad, who are in heaven, I don't think they're fishing and watching football games. Where Nebraska always wins. Um, <laughs> we'll see what they're actually doing in heaven. And for them, their experience of time, very different than ours. Very different than ours. And this is what he's saying is, you're, you're living as earthbound, earthbound human beings with very finite minds, and you think there's all kinds of time in your life, and there's not. There's not. In fact, in history, there's not much time. And I will bring it to an end. And so, blessed are those who hear it, right, hear it, and keep it. Yes, God, we'll join you in this war. Because guess what? The time is coming very soon. All right, so today, kind of the structure of things. Next week, we'll jump into a little background on John and then into the first chapter. Any questions you have, write them down. Thank you so much for coming. Please take my challenge seriously. Let's create a massive problem for the devil.
Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning and this time together as we dive into this book. Challenge us like we've never been challenged to not just read, but to hear your word, to individually each of us give you room inside of us to call us to this battle that is for eternity. Lord God, uh, we're not here just to go through a Bible class. We are your servants. Let us receive your word in that way in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.